the Overdue Podcast, Episode 18. I'm Kelly, one of the librarians here at Madison College, and with me today are my fellow librarians, Dana. Hi there. Mark, joining us via Skype. Hello. And Erica. Hi. And our guest today is Madison College student and library student worker, Michael Edwards. Hello. Today on the podcast, we'll talk with Michael. Also in honor of Veterans Day this past Sunday, we'll discuss the graphic novel Goes to War. We'll have trivial observations with Mark and our Anything Goes recommendations. All right, so we're going to pepper Michael with questions. He's on the hot seat right now. (laughs) So, Erica, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um, So, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself and about the graphic arts program at Madison College and what made you decide to come here. So I started coming to Madison College largely from working a lot of very crappy jobs (laughs) that had no promise of going anywhere. Uh, I was driving cab for a little while, and I was driving a lot of students to the different Madison College campuses, uh-huh. who had, and they would tell me their stories, and they would have the whole world going against them, and here they are doing it anyways. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so it made me think, I don't have anything going against me. Why don't I sign up and go to school and uh-huh. find me a job that I like doing? Uh-huh. Even though driving cab was my favorite job ever, it just uh-huh. didn't, just okay. didn't pay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, And the graphic design program is really great because it's all kinds of things. Every class is a whole new branch of what design can possibly be. Mm -hmm. Personally, I like the illustration part, but there's web design, there's printing stuff, there's there's all all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Design is everywhere, and there's a lot of opportunity out there. All right, Mark, you had a question? Sure. Well, before that, uh, just a quick follow-up to... uh, his introduction there, I, I think we should start a new segment, Michael's uh, Taxi Cab Confessions. <laughs> yes. So, That'd be uh, really interesting. <laughs> so, uh, Michael, you actually have a, a big portfolio show coming up uh, very soon. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the show is all about, um, whether or not people can see the show, and uh, what people can expect from your work in a portfolio? Sure. Uh, Well, when I get done with here, we have our first portfolio show, which is for friends and family. It's kind of a practice show where we have to be about two-thirds of the way done with everything. Mm. And then December 4th, uh, I don't have the times for that, but there is the big portfolio show. The school will invite about a 1,000 employees or potential employers to come and check out our work. And a lot of people get hired before the show is even over. Uh, What you can expect to see from my work, you're going to see a lot of drawings, a lot of illustration, a lot of comic stuff, and what I have is going to be vastly different from what a lot of other students have. It's very interesting seeing about half of my class be very interested in illustration and then seeing that everybody has a completely style and purpose behind their own illustration, so that's very exciting to see. That's cool. Intriguing, yeah. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question. Um, So when did you become interested in illustrating graphic novels? Uh, I became interested in graphic novels specifically once the opportunity arose. Mm -hmm. But I was always interested in drawing comics of some sort. I used to read Mad Magazine when I was a kid, and that was a big reason why I ever (laughs) picked up a pencil in the first place. I'd copy all the drawings and all the books that I had. 
But it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that the opportunity came up for me to do a graphic novel series with a local writer. Mm-hmm. And that's, I never thought it was possible before that. Mm-hmm. So once possible, I dove in and tried it out. Awesome. All right. And before my next question, I just want to welcome our, our late joiner, yeah. the other Mark. So chime uh, in with any questions <laughs> or anything, comments. Um, yes. Okay. So, Michael, tell us about your collaboration with Seth Levins in creating the graphic novels. And they're available for checkout at Madison College Libraries, uh, Pulp Affliction, Crime and Parchment, and Missive in Action. Those are the first three books out of a five-part series. The other two is going to come whenever I get the time to finish them. Okay. Um, so he originally had the series self-published through Amazon as an ungraphic novel. It was basically just the whole script, and it read like a comic book. It just There was no pictures for it. Hmm. So he decided uh, he wanted to hire an artist for it. His, I think, basically stepdaughter, I think it's technically girlfriend's daughter, was, she was a classmate of mine, and she first brought it up to me. And I thought about it and thought about the money, and I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not. Uh, but then I saw the school had advertised it, advertised the job, so I thought, well, I better take this before somebody else does. Mm-hmm. And that's another great thing about the graphic design program is they, some of the teachers do a lot of research as to what kind of jobs are out there, what kind of internships are available, and they give you more information than what you know what to do with about about that. All right, so um, as an artist, did you have to change or reinvent your artistic style to adapt to visual storytelling? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you go into a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I've already done little cartoons and comic strips for the school newspaper, The Clarion, and the largest part of me, or of the, doing the graphic novels was just making comic strips longer. Um, but because of the amount of work that I had to do and the amount of time I had to do it in, I didn't have the time to really spend as much time per page or per panel that I yeah. would like to. Uh-huh. So I had to kind of almost dumb things down a little bit in order to do a much, much bigger bulk mm-hmm. of work. So... In a way, it's simpler than things I would normally do. It may be a little rougher than things I normally do, but the big challenge for me was just, can I make a 50-page book in a month or two? Oh, my. And I can. <laughs> well done. Yeah, you did great. I liked. I, I was looking through at some of those details in there. Like, just It's just so fun. So, mm-hmm. Good job. And as I go along, like the first book is a little rough, the second book gets a little better, and the third book is where I want to be right now. Yeah, awesome. So hopefully the fourth is even better. <laughs> so uh, what comic book or graphic novel artists have influenced your work? Uh, one of the biggest ones would be uh, uh, Mad Magazine uh, cartoonist. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but Sergio Aragonis. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen the tiny little doodles in the margins, mm-hmm. that's the guy. Uh, I brought these along. He also does a comic series called Gru the Wanderer, which is kind of a spoof of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> All right. But it's just... This guy is mad. He draws everything. <laughs> yeah. There's so much detail. It's it's very cartoony work, but there's just so much detail, so much going on. Yeah. And he's he's a machine. He can get a lot done. He draws super fast. He's That's always cool. been a big in, inspiration for me. 
All right. Wow. So I'm curious, what other artists have influenced you? Not graph, uh, not comic or graphic novelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest ones is again. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. He's from the late 1800s. I think he was French, called Gustave Doré. Okay. He did a lot of wood etchings and just really, really beautiful, detailed work that makes me want to cry and never pick up a pencil ever again. (laughs) Um, His most famous stuff is for Dante's Inferno, Paradise Lost, a lot of very classic images you've definitely seen around. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about your interest in Indian burial grounds in the upper Midwest? And is there a connection with your interest in art? There's definitely a connection with my art. Uh, So it started off with an interest in the paranormal for me. Me and my girlfriend used to go to cemeteries with little hand recorders and we'd get voices on there sometimes that we wouldn't hear in real life. And (laughs) we were at one cemetery here in town, the Forest Hill Cemetery over by West High. And way in the back, they have these mounds. I was like, what are these things? And they were in weird shapes. I took a pen and a piece of scrap paper out and I traced it and was like, what is this supposed to be? It looked like a dinosaur. And then I read one of Bob Bob Birmingham's books. He is the former state archaeologist. The book is called Spirits of Earth. And we don't have this one in our libraries, but we have another one of Bob Birmingham's books called Indian Mounds of Wisconsin. And they are both incredible resources. All right. And I see it's autographed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. (laughs) So you're a fan. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Great. So, yeah, once I learned a little bit more about the mounds, it's like the mound I saw in particular is a wa- underwater panther. And I was like, what the heck is an underwater panther? And you learn more. And I started reading about Ho-Chunk stories and the mythologies. And I, I, I love getting outside in Wisconsin. There's a lot of beautiful places. And you can almost feel a power to some of these places. And I want to know the story of the land, not just the past 200 years, but as far back as we can actually go. And sure. these mounds definitely tell stories. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, gotten involved in different local groups. There's the Ancient Earthworks Society of Wisconsin. They have mapped dozens and dozens of mound sites across the state. There's also the Effigy Mound Initiative. They have a Facebook page, mm-hmm. and they are always looking for volunteers to come help out clean up different effigy mound sites. There's going to be one in Horicon at the Nitschke Mound site this coming Sunday. And it's just clearing a lot of uh, just bigger brush that will eventually destroy the mound. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of hard work mm-hmm. hauling logs out of the woods, but now we know the next generation to come along is going to have these mounds to wonder about. Mm-hmm. Interesting. A lot more than I ever yeah. knew just in yeah. that couple of minutes. So um, very interesting. Um, so then just to switch gears a little bit, um, what do you see yourself doing once you graduate from Madison College? As far as the job goes, I have no idea. <laughs> Whatever is going to pay my bills is, is fine by me. Uh, like I said earlier, the graphic design program has a lot of different areas that you can get into. And I find them all interesting. Mm-hmm. I love doing comics and drawing. I can't really see that paying my bills. So that's more of a side thing I have planned. And mm-hmm. doing more with these the Effigy Mound groups, I plan on doing more with them. Mm-hmm. So I guess free time is the biggest thing I'm looking for, getting my nights and weekends back. Mm-hmm. But whoever wants to hire me, I, I'll do it. All right. <laughs> All right. Any more questions for Michael? 
Okay. All right. So one of the more popular topics in graphic novels has been the subject of war. In honor of Veterans Day this last Sunday, um, I'd like to talk about a few war-related titles we have here in the Madison College Library. Um, First, though, Dana and Erica are going to tell us how to find graphic novels in our collection. All right. Thanks, Kelly. So as Kelly mentioned, graphic novels cover many topics. Um, when I think of graphic novels, my first thought is of a comic book, but that's only um, only a small portion of graphic novels are also comics. Um, and this can make finding them a little challenging in a library collection that is arranged by the subject of the work. Our Madison College libraries are shelved by their Dewey Decimal numbers. You can find a good collection of graphic novels in the 741s of the stacks. And although they do tend to fall in the 741s, some of them are shelved in other areas because of their overall subject being such a strong topic. A few examples of this would be um, a book called A Dangerous Woman, the graphic biography of Emma Goldman, which is shelved in the 335s. Or um, AD, New Orleans after the deluge is 976, because that's more of a history. Or Climate Change, a personal journey through the sciences, 551 in the sciences. Yes. So how does one find a graphic novel in a library, one might ask? Uh, We have a few suggestions. First, we have a research guide made by none other than our librarian, Mark, which I highly recommend checking out. You can find it by navigating to Madison Area Technical College Library's homepage, finding the Research Guides area, and searching there for graphic novels, or you could go to directly to our URL, libguides.madisoncollege.edu slash graphic novel. Additionally, you can do a search in our catalog for the term graphic novel to find the full, to find the full list. Adding more search terms such as Dilbert or Marvel Comics. Additionally, you can do a search in our catalog for the term graphic novel to find the full list. Adding more search terms such as Dilbert or Marvel Comics will narrow down your search results considerably. All right. Thank you, Dana and Erica. And now Mark has a few words to say about the recent passing on Monday of cultural icon and comic book creator Stan Lee. Right. As Kelly uh, mentioned, uh, just this Monday, uh, Stan Lee died at the age of 95. Um, Some people thought he was going to live forever. He was certainly very active uh, well into his 90s. While technically not a graphic novelist, he's a a major person in comic book history. And um, if you know anything about Marvel Comics, Spider-Man, Iron Man, the Hulk, Fantastic Four, Black Panther, um, Stan Lee is uh, one of the people that created them. He had some collaborators that worked with them. Um, along with the work that he did, uh, and he was highly prolific in turning out uh, comic book characters and uh, uh, series. In the 1970s, a lot of people didn't realize that he was one of the people that challenged restrictions of the Comics Code Authority. Mm-hmm. And because of his work, along with others, it uh, indirectly led to changes in, in the policies. He retired from Marvel in the 1990s, but uh, retained then with Marvel a public relations job. And a big part of that public relations job was making cameos (laughs) in movies uh, made about his comics. And he made cameo appearances um, in over 20 films and over 10 TV shows, including Mm -hmm. 
um, some things recently in the last couple of years on Netflix. And um, he was making cameos again uh, up until just a couple of years ago. And <clears throat> finally, uh, um, his influence um, in comic books has made a major impact with graphic novels. And he was inducted into the Will Eisner uh, Hall of Fame in 1994. He certainly had some collaborators that worked with him. And Michael, I think you have an opinion regarding one of the collaborators. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I am a big, big Jack Kirby fan. He's another reason why I draw. He's, again, a machine. He would draw mm -hmm. so much every day and, and just awesome art, awesome characters. When I think about Stan Lee, I actually think about Jack Kirby. Mm -hmm. He left Marvel Comics in about 1969 or 1970 because he wasn't getting any of the credit for his work. Mm -hmm. He'd do all the work and Stan would put his name on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, he refused to go to toy stores to look at all the toys based on his characters, but mm -hmm. he would instead like just cry a little bit because he didn't mm -hmm. see a dime of that money. Mm -hmm. So... I, I'm a big Jack Kirby fan. All right. I'll just leave it and at that. is he still with us? Or? No, he died in about 1994. Mm, okay. All right. All right. Any more thoughts on Stan Lee? Uh, my only little tidbit to add is that both my girls, uh, my daughters, uh, they're nine and six, know who Stan Lee is. Um, and we have <laughs> not had the heart to tell them. I mean, from their perspective, they know him as the cameo right. <laughs> uh, person in um, the Marvel movies, um, but we haven't had the heart to tell them that he's passed. Um, but, yeah, interesting to know hearing from Mark and Michael other connections and things that um, I didn't know, so definitely need to do some more research on my part. Yeah, and I looked him up this morning, and, uh, uh, you know, Veterans Day, he was actually drafted in um, World War II. Mm -hmm. He didn't see combat, but he, um, I guess he, he, he was a playwright or worked in the, co uh, the, the playwright department mm -hmm. and helped uh, do comics and newspapers and help entertain the troops. Mm -hmm. So, um, so great. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for that, uh, uh, Mark. And um, so our next segment is our graphic novel goes to war. And um, our first novel that we'd like to talk about is um, Mouse uh, by Art Spiegelman. And while technically, you know, it's not about war, it's mm -hmm. about the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, just to take it out here, I, um, uh, I would just like to say that it, it was the first, I, I just picked it up in the late 80s, just realizing that now you can write about anything in comics because mm -hmm. the Holocaust has been discussed, right. and um, and uh, so nothing is off limits. We we can talk about anything. So that it's it's very groundbreaking, and also that it won a Pulitzer Prize in 1992, and that's really something a comic mm -hmm. book. Um, so and it tells the story of Spiegelman's father journey from he's a Polish soldier when it starts out. Um, he's taken captive. Uh, so he's a POW, he escapes, mm -hmm. and then he goes back to, I think, I believe Warsaw, mm -hmm. and then um, then he becomes a prisoner of Auschwitz, um, and uh, of course he um, finally gets free, and uh, it's unusual in that the, in comic book fashion, um, the Jews are portrayed as mice, and the Nazis are cats, and the Polish, who betrayed the Jews as pigs. 
So, um, but anyway, does anybody have any comments on Mouse, those that have read it? Um, I read Mouse quite a long time ago. <laughs> um, when I was in college, I had taken a comparative literature course, and the subtitle was um, Popular Culture in, in Comics and Graphic Arts, uh, or something to that effect. And it was... Of the many graphic novels that we read, it was one of the ones that stood out to me the most because I just thought, what an intriguing way to tell the story. Um, you know, like a very basic, um, you know, traditional hate <laughs> relationship <laughs> between uh, cats and mice, but um, it's very serious. Uh, you know, you quickly realize that although it seems like a really you know, basic love-hate relationship with Kat, and it's much more serious than that, and, and that stood out to me that, um, you know, it, I think it was one of the first times that I really understood, okay, graphic novels can be so much more than, yeah. than, you know, than fantasy or something yes, funny. Yeah. Or superhero or, exactly. you know, things like that. Um, and it, like I said, it, I have it at home still, the same copy that I got for that class many years ago, and... Um, I will hold on to it for my kids to definitely read when it's that time because I think it's it's very uh, comprehensive. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's there's more than one in the series, um, but the first I think is a good introduction to. Yeah, I, I think a really factual representation of what's happened during the Holocaust. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, the next one I just want to mention is um, Harlem Hellfighters um, by Max Brooks and Kanan White. And just so you know, if you don't know who Max Brooks is, he is the son of Anne Bancroft and Mel Brooks. And it is about the, he is not the artist, he's the writer. Kanan White is the artist or the illustrator. And it's about uh, an African-American fighting troop in World War I. And it's a true story. And uh, it's really good. It's checked out, or I would have brought it and people could look at it, but mm -hmm. somebody else is enjoying it right now, which is mm -hmm. great. And the next um, graphic novel, um, it was Life in the Trenches, and this is about a World War One soldier. And I, I just want to like show you some of the illustrations. It's very gruesome, and um, it's just—it's it, beautiful illustrations. It's just there's a lot of um, corpses in the mud and rats running around. Mm -hmm. And I remember starting it and just, I go, I have to put this down. This is just too intense. This mm -hmm. is just too much visual. And I put it down for about a week. And in that time I was looking, I was just thinking about, well, it, there's nothing that it isn't said in like All Quiet on the Western Front. Um, that is over and over how terrible it is. And so um, I, I picked it up and read it again, and I'm so glad it, I did. It's a great story. It's just, it's a little dark, but um, he's, a, he's an amazing artist. And I'm sorry, I didn't say his name. Jack uh, Tarday, or Jock Tarday. And um, anyway, so then the next one I wanted to talk about was, um, uh, and this is, he's one of my favorites in recent years, um, Shigeru Mitsubishi. Mitsukai, and I'm sure I butchered his name, and I'm sorry. Um, mm -hmm. Onward to Our Noble Deaths. And it tells the story of, and he is Japan's most famous cartoonist, and he died in 2015 at the age of 93. Oh, wow. 
And um, what's unusual about him is um, he was in the army, and um, during an Allied bombing raid, he lost his dominant arm um, and hand that he draws with. And he retaught himself to draw with his other hand. And he says in interviews that he feels he's an even better artist because he had to work so much harder. And just the whole idea of like drawing is really in your brain, and which I kind of find that hard to believe, but I guess that's <laughs> true. Um, but so he's um, he was a very interesting um, guy, and he um, what I liked about the character in Onward to Our Noble Death, he's a young man who just wants to be an artist. He has no desire to die for his country, mm-hmm. um, and the story is. They're on this island, and he has friends, and he has good leaders and bad leaders, and they're hungry the whole time, and it's a great story. And the other, uh, he did a series after that called Showa. It's a history of Japan. What I like about him is there's a glossary um, with Japanese terms and Japanese words that there just isn't a translation for in English, mm-hmm. and I love that aspect of it. And also there's a character, and they're called Yukai character. And what it is is it's a kind of a ghostly figure that appears. Mm -hmm. And he purposely made this character not any race or gender. He wanted it to be neutral because that's what he wanted for humanity was this wise spirit to come down and, um, you know, dispense wisdom. Mm -hmm. And and it's actually, he's kind of a funny character, too. And um, so that's what I like about that. They're just really creative, and so I recommend them highly. Um, Did anybody else have any um, war-related graphic novels they'd like to talk about or any graphic novels you'd like to talk about? Um, I guess I was going to bring this up later, but um, another graphic novel that I read during that class that I also (laughs) kept, um, although this is the library's copy I have here in my hand, is called Barefoot Gen, a cartoon story of Hiroshima um, by Keji Nakazawa. And again, apologize for butchering names. Um, and it's about the bombing of Hiroshima. Um, it's black and white uh, illustrations. Um, again, another really profound um, view of what went on. This is actually uh, considered nonfiction. It's loosely based on the author's um, experiences yeah. as a child. Um, and yeah, uh, similar to you know some of the things that you have said about the um, the Tardy um, novel. Some are gruesome, yeah. um, you know, fires and burning bodies and the sort yeah. of the aftermath. And um, you know, by the cover, you would not necessarily see <laughs> I know, that. Like, it's very happy. Yeah. And and there are happy moments. There is some humor sprinkled throughout because you know he is a child when it's right. happening. Um, but yeah, very again like the the contrast I think of reading the illustrated novel and the the subject matter is like is apparent throughout and you know you you sometimes forget that it's a graphic novel because it's so serious but really well done and um highly recommended and there um this uh the copy that the library has and i don't recall of the original copy that i have but has a new um has an introduction by art spiegelman oh okay is the author of mouse yay so yeah Actually, I think he has an introduction in the uh, uh, It Was War in the Trenches on the back. Um, he, so. so I have a question. Yes. Um, I, I don't read these things because I find them disturbing. <laughs> in the same way, I, I wouldn't read like Crumb or something because 
though, though it's a different genre or whatever, because I also find it disturbing. Okay. <laughs> There's something about art being, art showing like what's wrong with humanity being more impactful mm-hmm. than like, well, I shouldn't say than, than say film, film is art too, but I can watch a film about war and just be like, oh yeah, I can, t- I can tune that down a little bit. But if I'm reading one of these uh, graphic novels or something, like, I can't finish it. They're intense, yeah. Yeah, it it hurts that much more. But um, one thing I noticed, and I'm not a student of this um, at all, and I guess this is a question for you, maybe Michael or anybody, all of these that deal with Holocaust or um, war, they're all black and white. Mm -hmm. Whereas when, like, my my kids read graphic novels, but these are playful... uh, manga titles or whatever and they're just popping with color everywhere color 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 um what is it about black and white that um lends itself to this kind of subject or these kinds of subjects and why is it so powerful without the color i mean yeah it feels more intense without color yeah personally i prefer art the black and white and i i'm not sure why uh Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, to me, the color there's just there's you either have color or you have black and white and detail. Um, that's oh, okay. that's just I don't know. Um, uh, and maybe it's you know obviously we're talking about war as a theme, and maybe that's why all of these are black and white. Um, yeah. But again, I've read some that are just horrific subjects, and they're in color and. <laughs> It's okay. worse okay. Um, because then, even though they're illustrated, there is a level of reality there that sure. color is adding, and they're hard to swallow. I mean, really yeah. hard to swallow. Hmm. Um, That's but interesting. Yeah, it's it, it all. You know, it could be deliberate. Um, maybe artists have a different perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my two cents. Yeah, I think a couple reasons why they would be black and white. For one, I think it's it just makes it feel a little more historic. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's very rare when you see colorized footage of World War One or World War Two, and So I think part of it just keeps it in a historical setting, mm-hmm. but also black and white is just more dramatic. Uh-huh. And sure. I like anything new that's very colorful, colors are very fun and lively, and it's kind of hard to put a serious subject behind bright, colorful mm-hmm. pictures. Yeah. Sure. So a, a lot of the colorful things that I see that are a little more serious, it'd be like like this cover here. It's very toned back, mm-hmm. limited yeah. color. So even with old movies, just a shadow can say so much more in black and white than mm-hmm. a colored shadow. You mm-hmm. don't really notice shadows so much mm-hmm. when it's colored. Gotcha. So that's my guess, mm-hmm. just to keep it dramatic yeah. and keep it a little historical maybe. I, I guess the exception would be that uh, Harlem Hellfighters is in color. Okay. It's a traditional, okay. um, you know, like the almost the Marvel style, I guess. Yeah. I have a quick question about the Barefoot Gen. Do you know when that was originally made? Good question. I don't. I could quickly and not try not to waste too much time. And um, he was like, wasn't he five when it happened? He was at, he was at school or something. Okay, first so serialized under a different title, Hadashi no Gen, in Japan in 1972. Okay. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite movies is the original Godzilla movie, which is oh. largely about Hiroshima. And that, mm-hmm. that was made about 12 years after the bombing, so that mm-hmm. was still fresh. very fresh for yeah. them. Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, and that I, sounds pretty interesting. In in I you know trying to recall my memory of the graphic novel, I did do a little research um, and see there's been some spin-off and movie adaptations, um, a bunch of that I've not seen um, oh, okay. or read. Um, so kind of follow-ups to to this. So All extra right. research to do. All right, so um, now we're going to have uh, trivial observations with Mark. Okay, all of the questions in this week's quiz can be answered from uh, the Graphic Novels Library Research Guide. Okay. At, which, again, is at libguides.madisoncollege.edu slash graphic novel. And there are seven questions. And, again, you should be able to get the answers to all of these questions uh, from somewhere on that page. Okay. All set? <laughs> the first question, graphic novels are typically considered this kind of art form. Um, graphic novels? Mm. Uh, illustration? Sure. I'm looking for something <laughs> a little more oh, specific. I would guess... Graphic line work. Ooh. That that is actually pretty close to what. Yeah. Pen and ink. Yeah, I yeah, I think yeah. we're stumped. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sequential. Oh, oh I should have known sequential that. Sequential art. Sure. Okay. Should have known that. All right. <laughs> this is not voting well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Actually, from this point on, it, uh, it, it, it will be a little bit uh, easier. And, uh, Good. Uh, okay. Persepolis is a story of a girl growing up in what country? Iran. Correct. Okay. This graphic novel by Allison McDell has been turned into a musical that is currently playing at Madison's Overture Center. Fun home. Very good. Yes. This critically acclaimed graphic novel tells the story of two brothers and the romantic relationship of one of the brothers while growing up in Wisconsin in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I know this one too, but does anybody else want to? Mm-hmm. That would be Craig Thompson's Blankets. Correct. Oh, <laughs> I don't know Wisconsin's that own. I've I, not even heard of it. I've read that one so. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk about an artist. He's he's amazing. Just these black and white and very simple things, but just yeah. the expressions and the point of views. He really hammers it down. Yeah, okay. one of my favorites. We do have yeah. yeah. Okay, we're doing better. Yes, and this you one doing you should do very well at. Um, this graphic novel by Max Brooks tells the okay. story of a highly decorated historic black regiment during World War One. Let's all say it together. <laughs> Harlem Hellfighters. <laughs> March uh, Book 1 and March Book 2 tells the story of what current United States congressman's participation in the 1965 Selma to Montgomery March. I was trying to think of his name earlier. It's John... John. Yeah. Lewis. John, John Lewis. John there you Lewis. Go. And it, they're really great if you mm. get a chance to... Yeah. That's, yeah. that's one of the things that like I've learned about the Civil Rights Movement... But it never really clicked with me until, like, I read those comics, mm-hmm. and it just really hit me on a human level what yeah. was happening. I was mm-hmm. like, that's weird. I'm getting these feelings from a comic mm-hmm. book. But yeah. Yeah, John Lewis, that was a really great series. Very good. All right. 
And the final question, um, if you wanted to write a dissertation on graphic novels or see just about any type of graphic novel available, it might well be worth your time to visit the Billy Ireland Cartoon Museum located at what Big Ten University? Wow. I would like to go there. I don't know where it is, but <laughs> I don't know. Can you give us a hint? Um, sure, it's not Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> a Big Ten University, not Wisconsin. Is that Ohio? Very good. All right. Um, Ohio State University um, houses the Bill, Billy Ireland Cartoon Museum, uh, which is uh, considered one of the, the best collections of comics and graphic novels. Hmm, great. Put it on the uh, to-go list. <laughs> All right, and that's this week's quiz. All right, Good well, job. thanks, Mark. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so now it's time for our Anything Goes recommendations. So who would like to start? Um, mine is uh, is on my to-read list. Um, I And I've had this recommended to me many, many times, and Mark on the phone may have read these already, but there is a series of... Uh, graphic novels that are based off of, or maybe a con- I think it's a continuation of the Buffy the Vampire Slayer oh. um, television series. Okay. Um, and it's multiple student workers here at Madison College Library oh. have recommended it to me, okay. and I have not ever picked it up. And I, I think was even unaware the of them. Okay. Yeah. So great. That's my recommendation. All right. And I am aware of them, and I, I think that yeah, <laughs> a great recommendation. All right. Uh, Mark, would you like to go next? Um, sure. Um, I'm actually going to recommend a graphic novel that I'm getting to re- getting ready to read next. Um, it's one of the next things on my reading list. And um, I'd like to read it because it was uh, highly recommended by somebody that I know. It's uh, called My Favorite Thing is Monsters. Um, and the graphic um, novelist and artist is Emile Ferris. Um, and it was the 2018 Eisner Award winner. So I'm just curious, besides uh, the person that recommended it to me, um, has anybody else um, had a chance to read that? Not no. yet, no. Not yet. Well, I'll just say that person's me. And <laughs> the, the storytelling is wonderful, and the art is just unbelievable. I just want to frame each uh, page and uh, extremely creative. Yeah. All right. Who would like to go next? I can go next. Okay. Um, So I am not very well read in the graphic novel world, but um, I had a short story class over the summer when I was an undergrad, and we did read a graphic novel, and it was Frank Miller's um, The Dark Knight Returns. And I had so much fun reading that book. And it was summer in Madison, the best time and place in the world, and i just go (laughs) sit at the Humanities Building and read it outside. And I was looking at these tiny pictures, tiny pictures, tiny pictures, tiny pictures, and like the action is building and building and building. And then like I go and turn the page and it's a whole page of Batman and it's just <laughs> such a crazy feeling like mm-hmm. to go from these little pictures and then to turn the page and just yeah. like it was just so visually shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was really neat. So that's my recommendation. All mm-hmm. right. Michael, would you like to go? Graphic novels or anything? 
It's anything, anything, anything goes. So All right. Anything. I'm going to recommend a little time traveling. Okay. Uh, which includes two books. One of them is, I already mentioned, Bob Birmingham's Spirits of the Earth. The other one would be The Wisconsin Death Trip, which is available oh. in this library. Yeah. After you read those two books, go take a trip to the north part of Lake Mendota and see the old asylum. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of effigy mounds up there in that area, too. Some of the mm -hmm. biggest I've, I've ever seen. Actually, I think the largest bird mound in existence is right there on the north side of the lake. So learn a little of history and go check it out. Mm -hmm. There's also a documentary on Wisconsin Death Trip, which is, mm -hmm. is really good as well. So, yeah. Mark, would you like to give us a recommendation? Yeah. So um, this is something I'm trying to do, and people have been telling me to do this for a long time. Um, but it's not a thing. It's it's a it's a way we do things. But eat really slowly. Because oh. food tastes yes. really different mm -hmm. when you eat slowly. And some of the things you think taste good are really terrible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then some of the things you think are really terrible are really interesting, oh, okay. which is stupid. And when you're hungry, it's almost impossible to do. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, I was eating corn chips slowly because that's kind of the food. I, I guess I can recommend corn chips. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's your favorite. Well, they're, they're, like, um, they're awesome, but... Um, that's your bread and butter. Right, but yeah. if you eat them really slowly, the, all the magic is gone. Because oh, then mm. it just turns into like this mush in your mouth. Okay. I don't want to get too graphic about it, but it's... <laughs> It's really disappointing. <laughs> so if you eat slowly, you'll learn a lot about what you like and don't like. Mm -hmm. Really like and don't like. See, okay. that makes me think I'm always telling my kids to slow down when they're eating mm -hmm. and to actually taste their food. But maybe yeah. it depends on what we're serving. Yeah, if it's so. broccoli or something. Have you noticed, yeah. like, when kids, like, you make them eat broccoli or something, they'll have it in their mouth for a long time. Yeah. And then they can't make and it happen. it probably tastes really, really terrible. And you just have to, like, you just have to allow them to spit it out because oh, they've been so living with it. And broccoli, they need to swallow whole. Yeah, and yeah, yeah exactly. Else. So if it's yucky, and we all kind of know it's yucky, just tell them to get it to pass the point of choking and then Thank you. You know, to follow up on that, giving tribute again to people that have passed away recently, that was a big thing of Anthony Bourdain. Oh. Um, oh, really? That process of, you know, slowly eating the food and experiencing it and mm -hmm. yeah, sitting down at a table and, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's a cool guy. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, thanks for letting me go last. I, I don't mean for my recommendation to be a bit of a downer, um, <laughs> but it might be, but I don't mean for it to be. Um, I would like to recommend a war, um, the Korean War. Often it's called America's Forgotten War. Um, it was my dad's war, and so I grew up hearing his, about his experiences. Um, but I virtually know any, I don't know anything about it, how, why it started, what we were doing there. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it really didn't, the peace was uneasy. It didn't really end, and we're kind of living with the mm -hmm. ramifications of that now. Um, mm -hmm. So I actually downloaded the audiobook The Coldest Winter, America and the Korean War. Mm -hmm. And I have a question for everybody. Besides MASH, which um, was really about the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. um, can you name a film about the Korean War? Mm. No. No. I, I could only so. think of one, and because I remember watching with my dad, it was called Pork Chop Hill, and it was Gregory Peck, 
And the whole film is uh, like an allegory about the war. These soldiers are told that you've got to defend this hill, mm-hmm. but it's not really valuable to us, and we're not going to give you reinforcements, mm-hmm. but you can't leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so sure. that it, it was. Uh, I, I don't remember much about the movie, but I remember, yeah, it was a pretty good story, and hmm. who doesn't want to watch Gregory Peck? <laughs> so, um, but anyway, that's... Um, if you just look on our library shelves, how many books we have about the Vietnam War, World War Two, mm-hmm. um, the World War One, we have vi- we have maybe I don't know eight to ten books on Korea, hmm. and um, and it's not uh, our collection problem. It's just there isn't that much stuff out there, yeah. and that was actually the the catalyst for um, uh, David Halberstam to 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 write this book, um, The Coldest Winter. And it's it's a really interesting book, and it goes into why we were there, and the American uh, public's lack of interest. Um, you can imagine they were worn out from World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't really have the funds. We were do the, doing the Marshall Plan at the time, so all our resources and money were over in Europe and mm-hmm. Japan. Um, so, uh, and I remember my dad telling me that. Um, he got there in the summertime, and um, he was from Texas. The heat didn't bother him at all. It's when it started to get cold, and they did not have proper footgear, mm-hmm. coats. Um, they didn't have enough ammunition. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very terrible. And um, and they were eating rations from World War One in the Korean War. This is probably wow. 30 years later, so yum. And... Um, Anyway, it also goes into um, the, our lack of unpreparedness, uh, our huge miscalculations and ignorance about the Korean people and their history. Mm-hmm. And it also talks about what a jerk General MacArthur was. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, I hadn't heard that before. But yeah, he was. Uh, and so the narrator um, is Edward Herman. And if you don't know him, he's uh, little Rory's grandfather on Gilmore Girls. So he has this nice... <gasps> Big, rich voice. Um, yes. So it's it's a pleasure, and you know he's an actor. It's, he just keeps it very interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, recently, I was listening to a part about uh, the relationship between Mao and Stalin, and um, I just that's, I knew nothing about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I recommend. Um, we have several books, and we also have several films on the Korean War. So I re- recommend um, to find out more about America's Forgotten War. Mm-hmm. And um, never forget. Yeah. All right. Any anything else? Are we okay? Yeah. All right. So thanks everyone uh, for joining us, um, and we would like to say a big thank you uh, to Michael for being our guest today. We know you're really busy, and you're actually on your way to your portfolio show. So thanks for taking the time for us. Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And the Overdue Podcast is a production of Madison College Libraries and the Student Achievement Center. Until next time, happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) 